Hello. And welcome to Pop Tarts. Me, 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 me. I'm Emily Rems. And I'm Callie Watts. We both work at Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today, our topic, of course, is the Golden Globes. (sighs) Golden Globes. Awards shows are usually very boring. But this year, in the wake of the Harvey Weinstein scandal, the explosion of the Me Too movement, and the birth of the Time's Up initiative, the Golden Globes were essential feminist viewing. It was basically a big feminist uprising with like a couple of pointless awards scattered in (laughs) in between. Here to unpack all of the major moments from the Golden Globes with us is Bust's digital editorial director, Erica W. Smith. Hello, Erica. Hi. Hi. I am appalled. There's a lot of hot dads on Riverdale. There's a lot of cheeseburgers involved. Girl on fish action. That's a no from me, dog. Anybody else have fantasies of like Jen and Angie uniting in a post Brad Pitt alliance to like take down fuckboys all over the world? So first off, I'm going to start off with the highlights before I start parsing and nitpicking and reading people to fill. I want to talk about the highlight of the evening for me, for everyone, for the world, for thousands of viewers all over social media. It was Oprah's acceptance speech for her Cecil B. DeMille Lifetime Achievement Award. Reese Taylor died 10 days ago, just shy of her 98th birthday. She lived, as we all have lived, too many years in a culture broken by brutally powerful men. For too long, women have not been heard or believed if they dared to speak their truth to the power of those men. But their time is up. Their time is up. Made everybody cry. I and cried, like took and I people never to cried. church. People were standing up. There was make possibly some praise dancing. Um, it was so eloquent and inspiring. And it immediately sparked discussions of her possible candidacy for president in 2020. First of all, did you guys think that she was running for president with that speech? And how did it make you feel? I didn't think she was intending to run for president with the speech. I think the speech was about people and what and not about her. Like, I, I think she was just she was doing what people were supposed to be doing with the speeches and talking about what's going on, you know, and the Me Too's and the tell your truth stuff and all of that. I don't think it was I'm here. She didn't say any fuck Trump. She didn't say anything political. She was just being Oprah. Yeah, I agree. I think it was like Oprah being Oprah and being amazing and speaking out against all the sexual assault and in support of the Me Too movement, but I didn't see it as like a campaign speech. When she was discussing the efforts of women who have come forward to confront sexual abuse, she segued into a very instructive aside about Reese Taylor, 
a black woman who was gang raped by white men in Alabama in 1944, whose case was handled by Rosa Parks at the NAACP and who had just died um, just a few weeks ago. And so she's really bringing some historical context to the Me Too movement, to the Time's Up movement. And then when she, you know, we were all pretty, I don't want to say it was a downer, but it was a somber segue for sure. And then she like wrapped it up by saying, So I want all the girls watching here now to know that a new day is on the horizon. And when that new day finally dawns, it will be because of a lot of magnificent women, many of whom are right here in this room tonight, and some pretty phenomenal men. I think it's also refreshing, since we have a president that can't speak, that does not understand how to form a nice speech that comes full circle, that has a moral and takes you on a journey. Like she really knows how to craft, craft a speech. That I think is what was so refreshing to hear because everybody misses Obama when he could eloquently Mm -hmm. orate. I miss that. Yeah, that it totally reminded me of, of Obama too. He like gave that speech, like at, I think it was like the democratic national convention when nobody knew who he was. And just like in one speech, everyone was like, hello. And I feel like that's why people were like Oprah 2020 after this speech, because it was that kind of a moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Erica, did you have any other highlight besides Lady O? Yeah, there were a couple. Um, I think the women of Big Little Lies had really great speeches. And I love that show miniseries. Um, And then I also loved on the red carpet beforehand how many celebrities just blatantly called out E! News mm-hmm. in their E! News interviews for... Deborah Messing. Um, yeah, for E! Um, a, one of the E! hosts, a woman, uh, Kat Sadler, I think her name is, um, recently quit publicly because she was making uh, less than half what her male counterpart was making. And people interviewed by E! definitely mentioned that. I was so shocked to hear that, that E! doesn't believe in paying their their female co-hosts the same as their male co-hosts. I mean, I, I miss Kat Sadler, and um, so we stand with her. Right, Eva Longoria mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Deborah Messing both, like, one, it was Deborah Messing with Juliana Rancic, right? Mm-hmm. And then Eva Longoria with the hair. What's his name? With the hair. Uh, Ryan Seacrest. Yeah. yeah. Like just just sort of confronted them on air. Mm-hmm. And then there was very like, ha we love Kat. <laughs> it was also refreshing to see the Big Little Lies ladies, like the camaraderie there, that they, they actually look like they're friends, that they value each other, that they supported each other. Yeah. That was really refreshing. Yeah. Also on the red carpet, pre-show, uh, the actresses predominantly were dressed all in black and were accompanied by activists to draw attention to Time's Up. Um, How well do you think that worked as a a visual, a a point of visual activism? I'll tell you, I saw very, very few red carpet um, wrap-ups. You know, like, I didn't see too many. Usually that's all I see because nobody says anything of importance, mm-hmm. <laughs> usually there. And everybody focuses on the dresses. And I feel like 
the red carpet didn't get much attention. I did. I missed the red carpet live, and so I tried to go back and get clips, and there was very little. And it was all about politics and not about dresses, and I enjoyed it. I think it was really smart. Um, I think because um, the women in Hollywood, I think, have gotten some criticism for not giving enough credit for the activists who started the movement, um, especially Tarana Burke, and to see her um, so honored and, like, um, to see some of the celebrities, you know, they'd be asked a question like, oh, you've been nominated. How does it feel? They'd be like, oh, it's great. But what is really great is the work these activists are doing. Like to see them pivot it to honor the activists was that great. That is awesome. Um, right. So Meryl Streep brought Ai-jen Poo of the National mm-hmm. Domestic Workers Alliance. Michelle Williams, as you mentioned, brought Tarana Burke, who created the Me Too movement. Laura Dern brought Monica Ramirez of the National Farm Workers Alliance. And Amy Poehler brought... Uh, Saru Jayaramanan of Restaurant Opportunities Centers United. Is this going to be a thing going forward where plus ones are going to be activists or do you think it was just for this night? I would love to see it keep happening. I don't know if it will. Um, It'll be interesting to see with the other award shows this season if they continue to, you know, put... Me Too and Time's Up front and center as much as the, gold, the glo- at Golden Globes did. Yeah. Do they have any plot for the Oscars? Are they are they doing all black? Have they talked about that at all? I think they were just doing this first, and I haven't heard a strategy yet for the Oscars. But I think it's important to point out that not every woman on the red carpet was wearing black. There were three notable exceptions. Uh, actress Blanca Blanco wore red. She said she wore it because I love red, and wearing <laughs> red does not mean I'm against the movement. German model Barbara Meyer wore a sheer floral gown and said, we've been fighting a long time to wear what we want. <laughs> and then the only non-black dress on stage during the awards was worn by Meher Tatna, who's the president of the Hollywood Foreign Press. She wore red. And uh, she said as part of her Indian culture, it's customary to wear a festive color during a celebration. Um, you know, I I understand. Well, it's customary to wear a crazy dress at the, but you changed the custom sometimes. Right. I think it's important to note that uh, these three women are not famous and that <laughs> I would not be talking about them mm-hmm. on Mike now if they hadn't bucked the trend in warm color. So is it, my cynical side is like, they're willing to throw like this United Women movement under the bus to grab publicity for themselves and like, fuck them. But also <laughs> I don't want to, like perpetuate girl on girl crime. Yeah. Um, how do you guys feel about these three non-famous notable exceptions? I mean, you have you have the right to wear whatever you want. Fair enough. But maybe try to help with the movement. I don't think um, that act- I think it's great when celebrities are activists, but I don't think we necessarily should expect activism of every celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are like there are plenty of male abusers out there who are at the Golden Globes who won Golden Globes to criticize rather than women for wearing something else. Yeah, let's talk about those bitches. Fight the real enemy. <laughs> let's talk about all the people, all the dudes not acknowledging Time's Up or Me Too or any of the situation. And then afterwards saying, oh, well, I felt like it wasn't my place and that the women should be speaking. Well, then say that on stage. Yeah. Be like, we need to be listening to the women tonight and acknowledge that. Don't just sit there and be quiet because you're scared that the next day someone's going to be like, oh, how dare you support that when you raped somebody? Because that's what I think they were afraid of. Right. Yeah. Everyone's I've, I feel like everyone in Hollywood is running scared. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad. 
<laughs> yeah, they should be. <laughs> like, if you did some, I mean, um, like, if you didn't do anything, don't worry. But if you did something, yeah, you're going to get named and you should be. Well, one man who did address it on stage was the host, Seth Meyers, mm-hmm. hosted. He opened the show by saying, Good evening, ladies and remaining gentlemen. And I like him. I feel like his show is the new Daily Show in a post-John Stewart society. And I think that he's funny, but I also think it may have been a no-brainer to ask a woman of color like Tiffany Haddish mm-hmm. to host. Like oh my a, God, she would have been amazing. Yeah, I would have loved to see that. I Yeah, I think that uh, it's time. And it, we'll see what happens with the other awards of the season if, if things take a turn or not. <laughs> Another sick burn that I enjoyed, which was much more subtle. Portman? Was Portman, yeah, that was Natalie great. Portman, presenting the Best Director Award for Film. And here are the all-male nominees. <laughs> it couldn't have been said better. I think exactly. that she said it in a way that was like, she was doing the job that she was asked to do, but she just slipped a zinger right in there she that kept, made Ron Howard so sweat. <laughs> that was um, amazing. Was it a props or not a props? A props. Yeah. Especially seeing how many awards Lady Bird won, but not even get a nomination for Best Director. Yeah, that's I agree. How do you make a movie that wins Best Comedy or Musical and Best Lead Actor and have the director of that, or Best Lead Actress, and have the director of that film not even be nominated for Best Director? It's not like it burst fully formed out of her head like Athena. Like, she made that movie. (laughs) Wait, who won? I, can't, I don't even remember. Who uh, won Guillermo del Toro. Oh. Which I really like The Shape of Water, but. I, I hadn't seen that. I would love to see more women nominated. I did feel a little bad for Guillermo del Toro. It, <laughs> it, it sort of took the wind out of his sails. He, he definitely deserved to win, but it was. I think that his win was in part overshadowed by the fact that it was a field of all white men. Um, it was also, to me, a big disappointment that Get Out was shut out. I cannot yeah. believe that. That just blows my mind. And no black women won anything outside of Oprah's honorary award. Yeah, and Mudbound was really good, and Dee should have been nominated for that. For director, also. Yeah, and I also think that, could Step have been nominated or not because it's a documentary? I don't know if they nominate documentaries. documentary directors, yeah. but it's documentaries. Yeah, I don't think they have a category for that there. They do at the Oscars, I think. Yeah, we'll see what happens when those nominations come out later in January. Um, As Callie predicted on our last podcast, James Franco won Best Actor in a comedy for The Disaster Artist. He was really good. He may be problematic, but man, he was really good in that. He invited Tommy Wiseau on stage, but then when Tommy lunged for the microphone, James Franco pushed him away. Uh, I think that was a sane move. Can you imagine if if Tommy had gotten that mic? I mean, we'd still be sitting there listening. (laughs) Well, he always gives the same speech at the beginning of every screening. If we go see the room screenings live. Have a good time. Yeah, he wants you to have a good time. um, Enjoy yourself. You may laugh. You may cry. Do you want to enjoy your life? Same basic speech every time. He was going to give that speech. I could picture it in my head. I'm fine with that. But if he had gotten the mic, that would have been... Batch it. Callie, as a room aficionado, do you have feelings about the fact that he did not thank Greg his Greg Sestero? I am appalled. Book he adapted to make that film. I am appalled. And they cut to Greg, and then I they were probably assuming that was when he was gonna thank Greg. 
jerk. But I did not thank Greg. That blew my mind. I Facebooked Greg. My shock. Did Greg (laughs) respond? respond? No, probably because he's too pissed. (laughs) He's probably trying to be gracious about it. But while I was Googling this to see, like, if Greg had made any statements about it, there's a new Tommy Wiseau, Greg Sestero film coming this year. It's a two-part film called Best Friends with the R in parentheses. And this is the description. When a drifter befriends a quirky mortician, an unlikely business partnership is formed. Paranoia soon develops, however, and both men are forced to come to terms with the fragility of friendship and loyalty. And it also involves vampires and evil clowns. I'm there. I'll watch it. He was born to play a crazy mortician. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a for real vampire and everyone knows it. I can't wait to see this movie. <laughs> it should also be said that while James Franco was giving his acceptance speech, Ali Sheedy was on Twitter calling James Franco out saying, and it was va- she was vague booking, even though it was on Twitter. Mm-hmm. She tweeted, James Franco just won. Please never ask me why I left the film TV business. Well, what did Franco do to Ali Sheedy? Yeah, I want to know. They worked together on a play a yeah, couple he years ago. A play. That he directed so. her in, right? And she had a nude scene in it that he directed. Oh, yeah. wow. Huh. What hmm. went on there? I feel like she has stories. But also a couple unknown actresses also shared stories during the Golden Globes of being sexually harassed or assaulted by Franco. Yeah, there was a woman who said that he pushed her head down onto his crotch in a car. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And another who said um, she'd worked with him and he'd, like, intimidated her into doing nude scenes, I think. Or he, she did nude scenes that were never going to be included, planned to be included in the film or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Nude so coercion nude for his own personal gratification. Yeah, I bet that shit happens all the yeah. time. I bet they're like, let's reshoot this sex scene. And then they just... Don't you? They just cut it. As opposed mm-hmm. to Tommy Wiseau, who shoots a nude scene and uses it three or four times within the same film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and only so he can show his own butt. All right. Something that I didn't see until Monday, and this is going to be like very shallow and silly compared to the other discussions. But there was a photo that someone took from backstage into the audience of Dakota Fanning Eyeball Angelina Jolie, who is actively ignoring Jennifer Aniston while she was presenting with Carol Burnett. Um, Did anybody else have fantasies of like Jen and Angie uniting in a post Brad Pitt alliance to like take down fuckboys all over the world? Like, do you think this is ever going to happen? I don't think it's going to happen, but I'd love to see it. Is that like the, the makings of fan fiction? Yes. Probably. Please write that fan fiction. I ship that. <laughs> I will read it. I mean, I can't. I just feel like they should just be friends. Let's make them be friends. Let's yeah. <laughs> let our feminism force them into friendship that neither one of them wants. <laughs> I don't think they're enemies. I think they're just like quietly living their own lives. Yeah. yeah. Like Which is fair. I really liked, oh, Frances McDormand. Clean face. I like that most of the women went very little mm-hmm. or minimal makeup, but McDormand was just like, I'm rolling. Clean faced. Yeah. I really appreciated that. And I like that she won with a role that seemed like, I don't know Frances McDormand personally. She has been on the cover of Bust, but I don't know Frances McDormand, but I feel like her role in Three Billboards is especially McDormandy. 
And I, I like how her acceptance speech was a good uh, reflection of that. Did you guys feel that? Yeah. I have some issues with three billboards, but I thought her role was good and she was good in it. And seeing her just be like, you know, not caring and being so outspoken and referencing tequila uh, in her speech, <laughs> I loved. Uh-huh. I haven't seen um, three billboards, but I've heard that it's racially problematic. Mm-hmm. But I have not seen it. Well, it's just like in this weird place of Ebbing, Missouri, where it's mostly white people, um, but all the white people are fucked up. And there's a few black people and they all know each other and they're all good. Yeah. And like they're very sort of one dimensionally good people. And um, the white police force has a reputation for police brutality against the black citizens of the town and there's well, that's true like a redemption totally. arc for the most racist cop of them all oh right so the movie is not a perfect film but francis mcdormand was especially mcdormandy in it <laughs> if you like francis mcdormand which i do yeah and she also she hasn't been the lead in anything for a while um and i think especially now that she's in her 60s it's really encouraging to see her be the lead, and I hope she gets to be the lead in more things. Let's talk for a moment about people who were not there. Oh, okay. There was some discussion on the interwebs. Um, I think Asia Argento kicked it off by <laughs> tweeting on Monday morning, I support Time's Up, even though I was excluded from it. Guess I am not powerful or Hollywood enough, proud to work behind the scenes. Huh. Um Argento then tweeted to Rose McGowan, no one should forget that you were the first one who broke the silence. Anyone who tries to diminish your work is a troll and an enemy of the movement. You gave me the courage to speak out. I'm on your side until I die. Then. And Rose wasn't there, right? No, Mm -hmm. McGowan, Rose McGowan replied, and not one of those fancy people wearing black to honor our rapes would have lifted a finger had it not been so. I have no time for Hollywood fakery, but I love you, Asia Argento. Then Rosanna Arquette, who also wasn't there, tweeted, uh, no, we weren't invited. Annabella Sciorra, Daryl Hannah, Mira Sorvino, none of us were. Then Asia Argento piped up one more time saying it would have been too much of a downer or an embarrassment victims aren't glamorous enough so none of these women who were in the initial uproar around harvey weinstein were nominated for anything fair enough at at the actual awards show but there were a lot of people included in the time's up organizational movement there were a lot of women who were brought as plus ones to amplify this movement and none of these women were among them is there a cool kids club that's time's up and then a non-cool kids club that are the Weinstein accusers, OG original gang. Well, and do you only get invited if you're at a movie that year? Or how does it? How do the invites work? Well, yeah, you get invited if you're nominated, and then there's all of that person's publicists and all their people, and then their guests. I guess they get a certain number of guests, and then you have people who are just famous who get to go yeah like who's who who are the famouses that just get to go like was angelina jolie in a film this year yeah she directed the cambodian oh yeah foreign language documentary because or yeah it was a documentary right 
Um, I think it was a like just a, a foreign a language film. film. So who are yeah. the famously famouses that get to go that aren't in anything? You know, like there's not too many. I know, like in the past, like Jack Nicholson has always just been there to drink, whether he was in something or not. But usually, and there, there's also all the presenters yeah. who right. aren't all nominated. And then there's everybody that worked on the films. They're all there, right? That worked on the nominated films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's tricky. It is tricky. Like they, they didn't, they weren't nominated for things. They weren't involved in nominated things. But they also could have been involved in the Times Up community in mm-hmm. some way. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like from what I've seen, the Times Up um, movement had some pretty like open events. So I feel like if they wanted to be involved, they probably could have been. And maybe they have legit reasons for not wanting to Right, like Lena Dunham showed up to an open event and then sort of got dragged for it on the internet because she didn't, quote unquote, do anything other than show up at an open event. But isn't that showing up at an event? She also, they were also upset because she defended a man who has been accused of sexual assault. Right, right, right. That's valid. Yeah. <laughs> How many people have accused Weinstein now? Because if you invited all of them, I know there were. That's I mean, like a whole cast of a film, right? Yeah, there. I'm pretty sure there were some there. Like I think Salma Hayek was there. Right? Yes. Yeah. Because if you just invited everybody that accused Harvey, that's probably like 50 seats. But this is like the core group of women. Yeah, the main who went the on main the record squad. with Ronan Farrow, basically. Yeah. I don't know. I think. Um, I think the Times Up movement was right to shed the light on the activists who right. have been working for years. Um, it would have been nice if the Golden Globes invited um, Rose McGowan and everyone else who's been speaking out, but I don't think Times Up has a say in that. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. I I like to think that it's not like a cool girls table and like a, a mean girls table and an outcast table. But who kn- who knows what it, the truth is? Yeah, I think it's important to mention too that Times Up isn't just like a hashtag. They've raised over sixteen million dollars for a legal defense fund yeah. to help people in all industries, including like farm workers, restaurant uh, service workers, industry people, like yeah. hotel maids, um, fight legal battles um, for a harassment free workplace. So I think that's like a really important well, and I hope exciting they send thing. Rose some money because isn't she? Uh, I think that. There's some legal things going on now, and she she tweeted that she may have to sell her house or something. To pay right, to pay yeah. her legal bills. So they better toss her some fucking cash. But I'm wondering, are, are those the legal bills for the drug possession, or is it other legal bills? You know, did I tell you my theory on that? Tell me your theory on that, Kelly. Well, because that drug possession, um, when they said that they found the bag, that was when she was coming to meet us at the march. Right, Rose yeah. McGowan rode back from the Women's March with us on our bus, on their bust bus. But yeah, she our bus flew there with some bus. other people. <laughs> and I'm wondering if it was a Weinstein setup, if he knew that she was going to come out soon and arranged for her to get on this, this flight because she was originally not planning on flying and then ended up Wait, changing no, her Weinstein plans. Wait, no, Weinstein would not arrange for her to be on a flight because they were... Because the, she, cause then he could, um, if he knew that she was going to have coke, he, or he could have put the coke on her. Right, I mean, I guess he had have those ex-Mossad agents following her around at that time, so. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't. <sighs> and I that could be why they much. sat on it for so long and then it came out later. Yeah. Because why, if the airport had stuff with coke traces, why do they wait so long to bring it up? 
Yeah. With I've, that shit, anything is possible. Once I found questions. out that he had Mossad following her, like, that was yeah. just a whole nother level. After reading that one run in Pharaoh expose, like, I think I would believe pretty much anything of Weinstein. Yeah. Right. So that's my theory. I think he tried to take her down. Overall, do you guys think awards shows are an appropriate venue for protest? How can famous feminists best use their platforms rolling on into Oscar season to, like keep the momentum of this movement alive. I think everything is an appropriate time for protest. Yeah, exactly. Remember how back in the day, like Susan Sarandon never missed an opportunity to like use every award she won as like some, a way to like speak out against something and everyone would roll their eyes and be like, uh, Susan Sarandon's so <laughs> inappropriate. And now it's like, she was just ahead of her time. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Now it's kind of like eye rolly if you don't use your platform. Then exactly. like you look opportunist yeah. somehow. I would I would also love to see more celebrity men use their platform to support, mm-hmm. especially for the ones who are winning for roles that have to do with sexual assault. Like, yeah, like it what's was, his face from Big Little Lies? Yeah, it like, was really weird to see Alexander Skarsgård talk so much about filming Big Little Lies, but not mention that he plays the domestic abuser in the movie ever. Yeah, that was very weird. Same with Three Billboards. Um Francis McDormand's character's daughter was raped and killed, and no one talked about that. Francis McDormand did. Yeah, but Martin McDonough, the director, didn't. Right, Or that's any true. of the, the men who won. Should women boycott awards entirely to prove how boring show business is without them? Like, can you imagine <laughs> oh, an Oscars an with no women? That is interesting. Yeah. I think a lot of them have, like, contractual obligations to the films or to the designers they have contracts with. I would imagine so. That It would be a tricky undertaking. Like, to are you making more of a statement to go and use your platform to speak out for what you believe in or to boycott? I think it depends how big you are. Yeah. yeah. There are so many celebrities at the Golden Globes that I didn't even notice all the people you said were missing were missing until you said they were. Right. <laughs> Thank you guys for breaking down the Golden Globes with me. You guys are insightful and I love you. <laughs> when we come back, I'm going to ask Erica and I'm going to ask Callie, what you're watching? I'm Terrence Mickey, the creator and host of Memory Motel a podcast that finds the drama and what we desperately want to remember or would rather forget. In season one, I explored such light topics as the different ways we remember the dead. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling the New York Times Classifieds. Christine speaking. I may help you. Hi, my name is Terrence Mickey, and I'm calling to inquire about an obituary. What information were you looking for that I could possibly help you with? Okay, I'm a big procrastinator, but I'm going to die at some point, so I just want to be prepared. And to get to the bottom of Stockholm Syndrome, I returned to the bank robbery where the first person was diagnosed with it. I always felt that I did something wrong. After almost 50 years, I felt, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I did what I had to do. And I'm kind of feeling proud of myself. And I followed a message in a bottle. He starts talking to me about a bottle with a message in it. And he says, Turks and Caicos. I'm like... 
And I'm, you know, I'm real expressive. You can't see me, but like I make a lot of faces. And I look at my cousin and I real quizzically and I go, I don't know what this guy's talking about. So I says, hold on a second. I put the phone down. I'm like, what? What? And I go back on the phone. I go, okay, excuse me. What's a Turks and Caicos? I had no idea. To see where your memories take me next, please subscribe to Memory Motel wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to share your memories, please reach out to me directly on Twitter at Terrence underscore Mickey or at Memory Motel. For updates on season two, visit our website, memorymotel.audio. And we're back. Hello. As is our custom, guests always go first. Erica W. Smith, <laughs> what you watching? Um, well, I just rewatched all of The Good Place because it's back in its second part of its second season. I'm obsessed with that show. That might be my favorite show on TV right now. Um, and you should watch it if you're not yet. Uh, other people have suggested that I watch it because of my enduring love of the dancing. I haven't watched it yet, but I think I will. You should. He's a very snazzy dresser in this show. I appreciate his bow ties and suits. Nice. What else are you watching? The Crown season two. I loved that. I watched it over break. Um, it's amazing. It's about Queen Elizabeth. Um, this one took her from, like, I think the early 50s up through the mid 60s um and then the next season they're recasting everyone because they're aged up um and next season is going to be helena bonham carter as princess margaret i saw and, that um oh shoot what's her name i love sophie on peep show as, <laughs> as queen elizabeth um whose name i am blanking on but i'm excited about and then I also watched the second season of Easy on Netflix. It's the anthology series about like dating and love. Uh-huh. You know how many people uh-huh. end up missing the one because they're texting? Do you want to take your coat off and stay a while? No, or I, don't. I think I'm okay with my coat on. Oh, no. You know I got it. So every episode is different? Yeah, every episode is a standalone. There are some that have some like interconnections, but you can pretty much jump in at any point. Nice. And then I just read the book Crazy Rich Asians, and I loved it so much. I'm obsessed with it. It's um, kind of like a grown-up gossip girl set in Singapore. Um, It's about all these crazy rich Asians um, living in Singapore and this kind of outsider character um, who gets introduced to their world and has to figure out her way in it. And it's being made into a movie starring Constance Wu, and I'm so Ooh. excited for it. Isn't Aquafina in it, too? Yeah, she has this oh, important nice. role. And her, char- <laughs> her ca- Aquafina's character is like a new, new money person, so she's going to have a lot of fun with that. And it's a series. I just reserved the second book at the library, so hopefully I can read that soon. Nice. Yeah. And I also just started uh, The Pisces by Melissa Broder, who is so sad today, um, that writer and tweeter. Um, And I'm not very far in it yet, but it looks like there's going to be some merman erotica, which I am excited about. trending lately. Following the shape of water. Girl on fish action. Yeah. Having a moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And that is what you are watching? Yep. That's what I'm watching. Fantastique. Callie, what is it that you are watching? I'm going to have to narrow this down because we've had a gap for the holiday. But 
Did you guys read the excerpt from Michael Wolff's book, Fire and Fury, Inside the White House? I have indeed. <laughs> my mom has a copy. She said we can borrow it when she's done. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, my God. I've just seen different paragraphs going around Twitter. And There's a lot I'm of cheeseburgers. Fascinated. There's a lot of cheeseburgers involved. <laughs> and uh, a lot of sleeping alone. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 God, it makes him look like such a madhouse. Um, I saw an epi- the, the last episode of Sarah Silverman. Roxanne Gay was on. Did you see that? How could I not? Oh, my God. That was everything. I Somebody think I crocheted her a nose warmer. <laughs> <laughs> so that was amazing. I think that was my favorite episode of the Sarah Silverman show. Um, and then I saw the Jim and Andy show on Netflix about um, Jim Carrey when he played Andy Kaufman in Man on the Moon. And it's a documentary um, about how he went method acting in there. Which is so fascinating. Are there any women method actors that we can get on the radio sh- on the podcast? Because I want to talk to a method actor. That shit is bad. You always hear about dudes doing it. And you never hear about women. Yeah, doing it. I was trying to brainstorm like if there were any women. And I know during um, the Suicide Squad promotional tour, people were d- making a lot of jokes about how like. Jared Leto had to go full method, and Viola Davis was just like, "No, I got this." Yeah, <laughs> I can like maybe we're act. just better at pretending because we have to pretend to put up with men's shit all day. So, and also, <laughs> women are called difficult for like saying, "Like, don't sexually violate me." So, yeah. like, women have a lot more heavy lifting to do in terms of not being labeled difficult or being blacklisted. I feel like any woman who went full method would get blacklisted. Am I right or am I wrong? Probably very right. You're probably right. Maybe they did and they got fired, and that's why we don't know about any of them. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because they went method once and never worked again. Never got to work again. But the movie is really amazing. Um, It's really interesting to watch his process. I saw a South Park episode um, that my roommate was like, you have to watch this one. And it's about these old people who are obsessed with um, these dolls, these like, little German glass dolls called Hummels. Hummels. Yeah. So they're obsessed with Hummels. And to get their Hummel collection, they're selling their opioids. They're putting their drugs in crocheted pillows to get them out of the old folks' home. I'm just going to need you to deliver another one of Miss McGillicuddy's crochet pillows. Ah, come on, Grandpa. Isn't it enough I come to visit? You don't understand how it works in here. Miss McGillicuddy is top bitch. You do what she says, or you pay the price. They're getting bought by uh, child party entertainers that dress in costumes, mascot costumes, and those kids are ODing all over the place. And so that's part of the opioid crisis is because the old people want Hummels. It was a really interesting (laughs) way to take a look at the... um, like the drug crisis right now. I agree that Hummels are a menace. <laughs> <laughs> I finally started Fargo on Hulu. I've never seen it before. Bob Odenkirk is so good in it. I always think of him, associate him with Mr. Show, but he plays a really good, serious character. Have you guys seen Fargo? I haven't. I saw the movie, but yeah. I haven't seen the series. I've, I've never seen, seen the, the movie, movie either. The movie is so good. Um, That's also peak McDormand. Yeah. yeah. I, I know that she was amazing in that. It's also, do they have great... Minnesota accents in the series. My uh, extended family's from Minnesota. So every time I visit them, I'm like, oh, they really do sound like Fargo a little bit. (laughs) Um, I, since it was the holidays, I watched my favorite holiday movie, which is Jack Frost 2, Revenge of the Mutant Killer Snowman, which is a terrible movie. You know I love a terrible movie. Why do you love it? 
It is so bad. It's about a snowman, a, a snowman that in the first Jack Frost, Jack Frost 2 is better. Jack Frost 1, there's a snowman, uh, like a serial killer is being taken en route to get executed. And there's a car crash that involves some toxic waste and the toxic waste and the killer's blood mix up in the snow and become a mutant killer snowman. Obviously. And then in the second one, it takes place on an island, a tropical island. And so the snowman is just like a carrot floating in the water. Killer, killer <laughs> carrot. Talking killer carrot. And then there's like this guy that was in the first one. He was the sheriff. He's in the second one. And like the main protagonist from the first, he is on a trip on an island to go to a wedding and he doesn't recognize the sheriff from the first one because he has an eye patch on. There's so much weird things. And then the snowman has these little snowballs that are like gremlins that kill people. It's just completely absurd. It's a terrible movie and I love it. I own it on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started watching the show Mom, which I guess has been around forever and I never heard of it. It's also Allison Jennings yeah. in it. And Anna Ferris. So I was wondering where she's been. I guess she's been working regularly doing the show the whole time. She's been on the TV. She's on the TV. Um, Which is about a newly sober mom and the relationship with her mom and a bunch of other moms that are not drinking. And I didn't hate it for for like a mom sitcom. Set well with me. It was one of those things that I could watch at my parents' house without triggering anybody yeah i say i interviewed um allison janney maybe a year ago when she was promoting the netflix movie Tallulah, and she was so fun and she was also one of the only people who's called me for the interview like directly not her pr oh, so she's like hey hey erica it's me allison i'm in the hotel room like, that's good to know <laughs> yeah. i love that she was delightful yeah it's apparently been on for five seasons and it's a chuck laurie show so i would have thought that i would have heard of um I started watching iZombie by recommendation of my roommate. I don't know why I was sleeping on that so hard either. So that's like this girl becomes a zombie and she works at a morgue and whoever's brain she eats, then she gets their memories and solves crime. I'm here for that. Yeah. Is it super gory? Because sometimes I can't handle... It's not that. super gory. But okay. my level of gore is much different than most people. Yes. It's mild. <laughs> Don't trust Callie. I know you were about raw. You were like, that wasn't gory enough. enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you said raw wasn't gory enough and people literally vomited watching In the theater. <laughs> and then I saw that movie Bushwick. Did you guys watch this? No, I, I did saw not a trailer, see it. but I haven't watched it's it. It's not very good. Okay. Let's, let's start there. But also, <laughs> like, so that the, there's, like, Texas is succeeding from the nation, and so there's like a they're bombing Bushwick, and these this couple is like on the train on the way back from visiting her parents, and they're on the L train, and when they get out, everybody's gone, and I'm like, really, the L train is running, <laughs> but Bushwick is empty, but the L train is still the running. L train doesn't even I run don't think when everything is running. Today. I know the MTA should not get that kind of credit because no. we yeah. couldn't even get to work this morning. Yeah. I was like, that's just nuts. And then the woman is like, they're like walking out and she, there's nobody around and they're, they're like, oh, this is eerie. And she's like, oh, this is nothing. One time there was a blackout and I had, had to walk through the tunnels with the light of my phone. And I was like, that's not how you just tell a scary story. Where's the suspense? And also, if that's the scariest thing that has happened to you, you have lived a very safe life. <laughs> there was a lot of things that I was like, what is this shit? I would not 
recommend anybody watch it. But it is one of those movies where everybody dies, which I always appreciate. Yeah, you love that. Spoiler. (laughs) 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 Then um, Black Mirror. I love this season of Black Mirror so much. It's too intense for some viewers. I have to like almost turn it off, but then I don't. It is so good. The first episode I watched twice because it was so fucking good. And it's got um, our girl from uh, Chewing Gum in it. Michaela Cole. I love her. Yes. God, that first episode had me. But the other ones are really good, too. Like the Archangel one, which was directed by Jodie Foster. Yeah. That one sparked a big uh, discussion between my secret agent lover man and I because... I would be like, oh, if I had a kid, I would microchip the chit like the shit out of her. I would totally microchip her so hard. And Logan's like, no, microchipping is evil. He didn't even want us to microchip our adorable cats. And I insisted because he's so anti-microchip. I am not mm-hmm. here for microchipping. Don't microchip me. Don't microchip me, Bo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for microchipping cats. <laughs> Probably not humans. Yeah, that was so creepy. And if then, I could, I would microchip my boyfriend, but he's, he wouldn't do it. <laughs> and then I watched, I tricked myself, and I ended up watching this movie Red Christmas because I thought it was a different Christmas horror movie. And this was like a pro-life propaganda film. Boo. Yeah, I was not ready for that. It was like an abortion clinic gets bombed while this girl was like mid-abortion. And so I guess the fetus just gets mangled grows up and comes back to try to kill her. I do not approve of that premise. Take that bullshit off the internet. (laughs) So dumb. I was like, really? 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 And how would he ever find the mom that aborted him? None of it makes any sense. Nope. Terrible trash. Hot trash. That's a no from me, dog. (laughs) 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 What have you been watching? I'm so glad you asked. I would love to tell you what I've been watching. (laughs) First and foremost, the most exciting thing that I've been watching, I've been watching because Erica W. Smith recommended it to me. Not once, not twice, but many times. (laughs) And I am, of course, talking about Riverdale on the CW. so good. I was purposefully avoiding it because in the 1980s, I went to summer camp every summer and would lay around on the grass and my friend missy had all kinds of like hundreds of archie comics she had so many archie comics and so i was really invested in the world of archie and betty and veronica and i didn't want to see that messed with or tampered with in any way and so i stayed away from riverdale but erica finally convinced me to give it a try and oh my god i love it so (laughs) it's so much it's good based on the character of archie comics but it's like a totally twisted, like Twin Peaks, 90210 Heathers mashup version of Riverdale from the Archie comics. And when I was digging around to find out like what kind of an amazing genius made this happen, I read that it was adapted and created for the CW by Archie Comics Chief Creative Officer Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. And I actually worked with that dude in like so long ago in the 90s i worked with this um punk rock theater company in dc called cherry red productions i think this actually may have been like the very earliest of 2000s like 2000 but um they did this anthology play series called seven deadly dwarves where they asked playwrights to write a play that combined one of the attributes of the seven 
deadly sins and one of the seven attributes of the seven dwarves. So they gave each of us a sin and a dwarf. And we had to write a play about it. What was yours? Mine was um, Dopey and Vanity. That's hilarious. And I wrote a play about um, prostitutes who were also celebrity impersonators. That is... And and Roberto wrote... I, I don't remember too much about his play, but I know that his pair up was uh sleepy and gluttony and his play was called morning becomes alestra <laughs> sleepy and gluttony could just be a trump story <laughs> <laughs> this is so far away from trump but i was like oh my god it's that guy like i don't know him but i worked with him on this one project this one time and like i was like whoa first of all a i didn't know that he was the chief creative officer of archie comics second of all b i didn't know that he created riverdale and third of all c He's now making a spinoff of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh, he's doing for he's Netflix, it. starring Kiernan Shipka. I'm so excited for that from Mad Men, and that looks like it's going to be so good. I, you know, I can't wait for that shit. So that's all to say. Will there be the talking cat? That is the most <laughs> important question. It's important, <laughs> but this dude is legit a genius, and he was all the way back like 17, 18 years ago. He was a genius. He continues to be a genius. And I was like, wow, that guy, like, he really made good in a big way. Because <laughs> Riverdale is really amazing. It's so yes, good. Who's I, the dad on that? He's so good. Oh, Luke Perry. Of, Luke Perry is so good. There's a lot of hot dads on Riverdale. Yeah. There's just a hot lot of hot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the parents are, like, my age in that show. So I'm, like, hot for the parents. My friend was, like, he's, like, we're at the age where the Riverdale dads are attractive. But so are the... 20-somethings playing 15-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's just a lot of hot to go around yeah. on that show. I endorse it and I recommend it. And I thank Erica for making me watch it. You're welcome. And um, I, in the music world, I watched the video for Blondie's single Doom or Destiny off of the new Blondie album, Pollinator. Oh, is it And this video features Blondie or Debbie Harry and Joan Jett together. They're playing like two pissed off feminist newscasters reporting on the end of the world. Oh, my God. And if you want to blow off some steam, <laughs> put this video on repeat on YouTube. I'm going to watch this. It. It's called Doom or Destiny. I love it. Um, another video that I've been enjoying a lot is the Bruno Mars finesse remix video oh, featuring Cardi B where so they totally riff so on cute. In Living Color. I like the video better than the actual song. Right? <laughs> They're playing at the Grammys. That um, video is so cute. If you have any nostalgic feelings for In Living Color, run, don't walk to your computer and look up the video for Bruno Mars finesse remix because you will feel all of the 90s feels. So good. And Cardi B is She's in unstoppable. It. She's unstoppable. I loved her little shorts. I never really listened to Bruno Mars. I got tricked into listening to Bruno Mars because of Cardi B. <laughs> <laughs> and I, died. I didn't hate it. I see why people like him. Another thing that Erica sherpa'd me into was, as I spoke about on our last episode, I got really into Great British Bake Off because it's very soothing and I'm very stressed out. And then Erica mentioned to me that there's another show 
called The Big Family Cooking Showdown on Netflix, which is also a British cooking show. And I turned it on and lo and behold, my very, very favorite competitor from Great British Bake Off season three, Nadia Hussein, (laughs) is a host (laughs) of The Big Family Cooking Showdown. So I, I don't have to pine away for her now that season three is over. I can watch her on this show. And I was so happy to see her little face. She's so cute. She's also um, on Great British Bake Off. She's like, you know, dressed very simply because she's there to bake. But when she's the host, she's so stylish and she has such great like makeup and clothes. She's got flair. She's got it going on. And I feel like there should be more women in hijabs hosting. Yeah. I'm definitely down for that. Yeah. She's a natural. Uh, One thing that I binge watched like crazy um, was this... Australian show called Glitch on Netflix, which is basically an iteration of like many shows that came before it. There was a French series called Le Revenance, and then it was remade into an American series called The Returns, which was literally a remake of that French show, and then remade again into another American show called Resurrection. All of these shows, including Glitch, that was Australian, that was on Netflix, are all shows about people coming back from the dead. But not zombies. They crawl. They just come back from the dead, and they look as fresh and hot as they did in life. As oh, like that guy that they were about to to give the autopsy to, and then he started snoring. I just saw that oh. on the news today. They were about to perform an autopsy, and a guy started snoring, and he was awake. I was like, oh, "Don't let that ever happen that to me." That is so Man. terrifying. How could you be that asleep that you're declared dead? That is some serious shit. That is the sleepiest sleep that ever (laughs) sleep. But this is people who, in this particular one, in Glitch, they crawl out of their graves like zombies. But when they get out of their graves, they're all like fresh and hot. And then with all of these shows that are very, very similar, like it's in a small, in all of them, they're in small towns and people are like, oh, this person, I buried them and went on with my life. And look, now they're back. And then, so there's some people who are like, let's protect the ones dead now alive. And then there's going to be another faction that's like all torches and pitchforks. That's like, get them. <laughs> Do they, die? can they die again? Or, or are they? In all of these ones, they, they can in fact die again. Um, so they are imperiled. So but the question is, how did they become alive again? And why? And what's going on? Mm-hmm. This is the premise of all of these shows. They're all virtually the same show. And yet I've watched all of every episode of all of them and I'll keep watching them. And part of me wonders if I keep watching these ones because I'm not super into the zombie genre. I only like the ones where people pop up out of the grave fresh and hot the way they were when they were alive and not at all interested in eating brains. And I wonder if I'm into these shows because in the Jewish faith, you guys know, in general, like, Jews don't have heaven and hell. They're like, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but the big, like, carrot at the end of a very long stick of Judaism is that when the Messiah does actually come, allegedly, every Jew who has ever lived in the history of time will pop up out of their graves in the freshest, hottest version of themselves oh. and get to live in Israel slash paradise forever. And that's why you're not supposed to get cremated or mutilated in any way because you need to come back together as your fresh, hot version of yourself out of the ground. And like somehow if you 
cremate yourself or don't like decompose naturally, then it'll interfere with your fresh, hot ground popping. (laughs) (laughs) Catholics have a version of that too. We're not supposed to, we can cremate people, but you can't scatter ashes. You have to bury the ashes. All together? Yeah. For fresh, hot ground popping? Yeah, (laughs) because of the rapture. When the rapture happens, you're going to pop up. So it makes me what, even though like, I don't want to, I, I want to make it clear that I'm not an observant Jew in the way where I think that, like, the Bible is real. But <laughs> I wonder if, because I was indoctrinated with some of this information, if that makes shows like that appealing to me. Or if, I, I'm, or if I'm just goth. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would also like to say that my luscious research assistant, Logan, got me CBS All Access for Hanukkah so I could watch Star Trek Discovery. Uh- what a cute gift Aww. from a very cute boy. And <laughs> I want to say that I want to enjoy it slowly like like bonbons from a special tray. So I've only seen one episode so far. <laughs> this series from a special tray. begins a decade before Captain Kirk's mission in the original Star Trek from the 60s and a century before all the events of Star Trek entered prize which was the one with scott bacula so this is like a prequel prequel um and the klingons look all weird and they didn't go with the star trek formula which is to have like a a main conflict that starts and ends within one episode like you can watch an episode and it's a self-contained thing Mm -hmm. this is going to be like a long soap operatic Space opera where you have to watch all the episodes and have them all come together. Space opera. So I'll do it. Um, but I miss the episodic quality of other series. But I love the fact that at least in episode one is just all about female Starfleet officers. It's about oh, Sonequa nice. Martin-Green as first officer Michael Burnham and Michelle Yeoh as Captain Han Bo. And they're women in space doing badass shit. And I'm for it. And I'm glad to have it. And I will report back once I've watched more. The one last thing I wanted to say before I wrap this up is I watched a Bela Lugosi movie called The Corpse Vanishes. And in this movie, it's very silly. But like, (laughs) there's this epidemic in a small town where like, apparently there's like a million weddings. Like there's a wedding every weekend. And every weekend, like a gorgeous socialite is at the altar and then mysteriously collapses. And then is declared dead and then at some point before she can go to the hospital or mortuary or whatever, someone steals her body. So this keeps <laughs> happening over and over and over again in this one town. You think and you people would just keep, like put a block on weddings for a hot Right, night. like elope, get out of there, something. But like people keep getting married every weekend and they keep, these brides keep dropping dead and then someone keeps stealing their bodies over and over and over again. And no one knows what the hell is going on except for this one very plucky female investigative reporter who knows what is up. She's watching it all because she's reporting on it. And she's like, hey, they all had these really weird corsages on. I think that that's like a part of it. And then she found out that the corsages were a rare orchid. And the only person who'd ever developed them was this freaky Bella Lugosi character up in the mountains. And she's like, I'm going to hitchhike to his house and find out what's up. So obviously wackiness ensues and Bella Lugosi tries to murderize her and whatnot. (laughs) But at the very end, like literally no one in this town knows their ass from their elbow except for this one woman reporter. And everyone's like making fun of her for being like a woman trying to be a reporter in the first place. 
This movie, incidentally, is from 1942. <laughs> so at the very end, she, en- she enlists this doctor to help her try to expose Bela Lugosi for the fiend that he is. And she's finally successful. And then at the very, very end, it ends with another wedding. And it's her wedding to the doctor whose help that she enlisted uh, in cracking the case. And her editor from the newspaper and all of her fellow male reporters are around. And literally the end of the movie is her editor going, we finally made a star reporter out of her. And now she can't work anymore. Like because she got married, that means that her career is over. And that was the happy ending of this fucking movie. (laughs) That was the end of The Corpse Vanishes. They literally built the case that she's the most brilliant investigative reporter that ever lived throughout this Fakakta movie. And then at the end, literally, it's like, oh, she's a wife. She can no longer work. The end. Oh, my God. So I just want to point out, we've come a long way, baby. And also, hashtag time's up. (laughs) (laughs) And that, my friends, is what I have been watching. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Rachel Withers, the greatest (laughs) producer of all. (laughs) And, of course, our pal at the listening booth, Terrence Mickey, and our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter, at Emily Rems. Erica, where can people find you on the socials? Uh, I'm Erica Wynn on all the socials. That's E-R-I-K-A-W-Y-N-N. And uh, Callie, you're not on Twitter, but people can email us both. (laughs) As I mentioned in the last episode, we got fan mail and we promptly published it in Bust Magazine. So if you want to be similarly famous, email us your fan mail. You can email me at emilyrems at bust.com. Callie W at bust.com. And to find out more about Bust, visit us at bust.com. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It really helped us get the word out. We super duper appreciate it. And we don't want to vanish like the corpse in The Corpse Vanishes. (laughs) We want to continue and sustain and grow and become great. So please rate and review us on iTunes. We super duper appreciate it. And until next time.